0: be in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25, and please stand for the reading of God's word. So again, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Simon the magician believes, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not for he had not yet fallen on any of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have of just being here together as a family. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Good morning. That was awful. Good morning. Good morning. I know it's rainy and kind of discouraging outside, but thanks for being here. Um, my name is Kevin, I'm the pastor of Church at the Well. I'm excited that you're here. Um, we have been, been preaching through the book of Acts now for a little while. Um, we'll be taking a break soon to kind of go through our Easter series, um, which I'm really excited about. So hopefully you look forward to that. Um, We're just going to kind of pick up where we left off last week, but as I was kind of reading through this, um, have you ever noticed that when you're reading scripture, some passages are really difficult? Um, There are things in scripture, let's be honest, that I don't really like. Um... When we talk about the gospel as a whole, I mean, even in Scripture, it it refers to the fact that the gospel is offensive. Because in order to really grasp the gospel, the first step is actually understanding your own depravity, and that's offensive. It's offensive to hear that that we're a mess, that we're actually dirty, rotten sinners, and and sometimes that's hard to grasp. And then, oftentimes, I think in Scripture we see things like the passage that we're going to go over today. it can not only generate some doctrinal questions but it also c- can create some doubt and some fear and so um, you know I love preaching through books of the Bible and I think one of the reasons is that you're not al- you can't skip the hard stuff um, you know I, I don't mind preaching topical at all in fact like I said we're going to do one for Easter but When we get to passages like this, I think sometimes it's easiest just to go, oh, let's just skip that one and we'll move on to the next one because this one's really hard to explain and it's not really something that I want to deal with in my own heart. Um, So I'm just, I guess this is kind of a pre-warning here. This is tough. This is a tough passage. And it's, um, my prayer for all of us, you know, as we've been going, as I've been studying this this week is, you know, I've been praying, Lord, you know, help me preach to myself here. Like really, really grab hold of my heart in this, and and prepare the hearts of those who are going to be here to hear difficult things, Um, and so I. That's my prayer. So let's kind of do this. Um, Last week, we we left off with Philip having gone to Samaria, right? It was this amazing thing. Um, Paul, or actually Saul at the time, right, has has stepped up. He's Stephen's been. Um, killed at this point through stoning. Paul held the coats. Then he's basically been persecuting the church. It's caused the church to basically leave Jerusalem. Um, From there, we get this kind of movement where not only are they leaving, in some of them are leaving in fear, some of them are leaving just because, hey, I don't really want my family to get persecuted in this way. I'm more scared of Paul, whatever. But as they're going, Scripture tells us that they're preaching along the way. And Philip's one of those that leaves. He goes to Samaria, which is pretty awesome. I told this story last week. Right, where, I mean, you look at Paul is in, ends up persecuting the church and ends up spreading the gospel further, which goes exactly opposite of what he was hoping would happen. Um, Philip, understanding probably Jesus' words and, and his um, commands in Acts 1.8, where he said, look, we're going to start in, in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. Philip, I guess, probably takes that to heart and says, I'm going to go to Samaria, maybe even thinking about John 4, well, he, he didn't have John 4, but the, the conversation that he saw Jesus have with the woman at the well in Samaria. And he says, I'm going to go there. And he begins to preach, and what he gets is they're receiving it. It says that the whole place began to get filled with joy. And this is kind of where we left off. And so let's kind of dive in here and see exactly what's going on. So verse 9, we know that Philip's been preaching. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying this man is the power of god that is called great and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic so i introduced this individual named simon and i'm going to get to him in a minute but when they believed philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of god in the name of jesus christ they were baptized both men and women so people are they're coming to the lord And they're being baptized. And if you can just picture this movement, it almost has kind of the feel of what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, right? Where the Holy Spirit comes, the apostles are filled, Peter stands up and gives this phenomenal sermon. And many from all over the place are listening to truth, accepting Christ, and being baptized. And thousands of people, right? It has this kind of, this feel to that. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands, and then they received the Holy Spirit. So Phil I mean, if we just kind of take those, that, that piece and look at what's going on in Samaria, it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, Philip is getting the privilege of watching the gospel reach new people. He's getting the privilege of actually seeing what Jesus said to come to fruition. It's, it's exciting. It's, man, the Samaritans of all people, right? I mean, these guys were a mess. We talked about that last week, and, and they had just kind of adopted every belief system into this one. They had broken off from basically like Orthodox Judaism. They had um, incorporated things from all different cultures into their belief system. They were a mess. And here, Philip shows up, and he begins to preach to them, and they receive it. They're getting baptized. It's exciting. Um, things are happening. And then we int- we're introduced to this individual named Simon. And, and I was just thinking through this. If you've been a Christ follower very long, and you actually care about presenting the gospel like you're supposed to, there's probably people in your life where you've seen them come to Jesus and been like, wow, I never saw that coming, Right? I have a, a guy from back home in California that I think of, and he's kind of like my standard for this. He was this, his name was, he, I, mean, I think he'd be fine to be telling his testimony. His name's Charles. And he was this huge like biker guy, like massive. I mean, he made me look really small. Um, he was, g- you know, he's kind of gruff. Um, he had been to prison, he's actually been to prison twice now. Um, he was just a mess. And his he was educated, believe it or not, um, he seemed to be one of those guys that that just could grasp like everything right um he i mean he put himself there i mean he was he was a guy that if you saw him on the street you wouldn't say this is a guy that's that's gone to college you wouldn't say this is a guy who, who cares about you know a lot of things because he would come across mean i mean mean if you crossed him you were going to be on the ground and Christy's brother had befriended him, and we got to know him, and he was just one of those guys I was like, man, if Jesus can reach this guy, he can reach anyone. He was just that guy for me. I'm like, man, I, is it even possible that the love of Christ could reach somebody who's so hardened, who just seems to hate people so much? And then one day, he gave his life to the Lord, and I was blown away. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we all have those people in our lives, right? You set up, like, wh- who's the holy grail for you? Like, man, if Jesus could reach that person. Or there's moments where probably in my own lack of faith, I'll be talking to someone, and I'm like, man, this is just hopeless. There's no way. Th- I think this is kind of Simon. I think one of the reasons he's brought up here is because if you're, if you're going through kind of this thing where, you know, you picture what, I don't know, it's Evangelist Crusade or whatever, and, and he's got all of these people believing, and it's like, man, even this guy... Simon stepped into the picture. So let's talk about him a little bit. Simon, we're given a little bit of information about him. Um, It says that he would basically wow the crowd with his magic. And when we kind of study this in the original language, we realize that what it's talking about is, is magic that was actually, this isn't like David Copperfield, who's like you go and you're entertained and there's illusion in front of you and you're trying to figure out how he does it. This is wrapped around kind of satanic and demonic influences. Um, This is a guy who's doing things and you're just going that shouldn't happen. And when you do it, it feels weird. I mean, it's fun to kind of watch, but something creepy here like that shouldn't be possible. Um, He's obviously lost. He's given his life over to influences (laughs) that, you know, we wouldn't want to see him give his life over to. Um, He was famous you know, I don't, maybe you see these people on TV. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I know like when I was growing up, there was like all these medians that would come on TV, right? And they would be like, hey, if you call in and send me your money, then I'll tell you what your future is. Or I'll, uh, you know, you can sit down and talk to people who have been departed. Um, you know, we'll reach out to the spirits or whatever. And, and you could probably name some of these people, right? They become famous. They become famous for these things that they do. And this was Simon. He, he wowed people. Um, they didn't understand him. They probably had a little bit of, of fear with him, but they knew him. They knew exactly who he was. And it says, you know, when we get to the verse here, and um, let's say verse, let's just read starting from verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. He bought into his own... You know, fame. Right, he was elevated up. He was able to do amazing things. (coughs) Um, He actually called himself great. That's that's an interesting individual, right? Um, Yeah, I'm great. I'm the greatest. Um, He wasn't. We know Muhammad Ali was, right? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know at what point you get in your, your, your place in pride where you actually give yourself a nickname like that, but this is who he was. And so when I'm thinking through it, I'm thinking, man, this is like Charles. Like he's so lost. He's so into himself. He's so prideful. But how could this individual actually get to a point where he says, man, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, and I need a Savior? How does somebody like that come to their own depravity? And, and here we get this passage where it says that as all of this was going on, Simon actually came into this movement. He heard what Philip had to say. He, he professed faith. He literally got baptized. And then he hung out with Philip. Like this guy was hanging out with Philip in the church, professing belief in the gospel. I mean, at first glance, this is, this is awesome. I mean, this is, wa- I mean, I wonder how many people, you know, true, true believers w- were praying for somebody like Simon. And here, look, it's happened, right? Something weird happens in this section Um, and it talks about the Holy Spirit, and I think out of this section, we see a lot of people kind of grab hold of false doctrines, Um, and let me explain what's going on here. So we kind of, we have this thing happening, and it says that they were baptized in the name of Jesus, but the Holy Spirit hadn't descended upon them yet, and this goes kind of contrary to everything that, that we preach, right? That that when you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you actually come to that point where you go, man, okay, I'm a mess. I have come in contact with my own depravity. The only answer is Jesus. He's the only one that's paid my penalty. He lived the life I was supposed to live. He died the death that I deserve. He rose back from the dead, showing that he is victorious over death and sin and Satan. Um, and I put my faith and trust in that alone. Some things happen, right? And one of those things is when it's a true, true belief, you put your true faith in just that, the Holy Spirit enters you. And once the Holy Spirit enters you, he never leaves. It's not like, okay, well, there's a process. So here you have to believe, and then you've got to go through some classes, and then you've got to f- complete some sacraments, and then you know, we'll go through some ritualistic things, and then the Holy Spirit will come and enter you. We've been taught that. We know that. I I mean, I've taught that many times, but it's odd that right here, it says that these people believed they were baptized and the Holy Spirit didn't come into them yet. And so what's going on here? You know, we'll hear hear people kind of preach doctrine where it's like, hey, you really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, then you need to come forward and I'm going to lay my hands on you and that's when the Spirit will enter you. You know, you, you get saved, but you also need to be baptized in the Spirit and it's kind of this separate event that, that transpires. Um, I remember Pastor Phil, there's this, <laughs> I love this story. I didn't ask him I can tell it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> we were at this church once in New York and um, this was way back when we were working at Transformation Life Center together and there was a, uh, this guy, we were listening to this this sermon and the pastor says, who in here wants more of the Holy Spirit? And, I mean, I mean it, come on, if you're asked that and you don't really, like, get it yet, who wouldn't raise their hand, right? And so, Phil raised his hand, but that's, anyway, this, uh, this guy, this guy <laughs> named Keith, who, once again, he was kind of like Charles. I think Keith was probably 6'8 and about 450 pounds. I mean, he's a little, yeah, little man, he, and we called him Tiny, um, and he was, just, he was just this huge guy, and he's like, I want more of the Spirit. So he walks up, and this guy walks, you know, he's, he's basically kind of, w- there's a line of people up, and he's going, and he's hitting them in the head, and they're falling over, and, and all this stuff's going on, and I'm, tr- I'm trying to go, what in the heck is happening here? And the guy gets up to Keith, and he looks at him, and, he, and I could see him kind of like get a little nervous. And he hits Keith in the head, and Keith just stands there. And so he hits him again, and Keith literally goes, if you hit me again, I'm going to hit you back. <laughs> um, you know, we see this stuff. I don't, I don't. I never, I'm, I'm one of those guys that will say, and you know, we never want to lock the Holy Spirit in a box, right? Ever. If it's in Scripture, it can happen again. But, the doctrines get built around this idea that, okay, you may believe, but you're not really saved until the Holy Spirit comes into you. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, it's going to be kind of manifest through signs so maybe speaking in tongues or, or these you know, signs of doing miracles and that kind of thing. And, and we can kind of take this out of context. Um. If the Holy Spirit enters a believer at the point of conversion, at the point of giving your, your heart, your mind, everything that you have to Jesus in faith alone, why is it being delayed here? And what you're going to find is, as we continue through the book of Acts, there's going to be actually some other places where something like exactly like this happens. So let me take you back just for a second, because I really want you to get this. God's doing something pretty unique. He's doing something unique through the apostles, right? Right? He's, he's got these 12 guys, 11 plus one now, that, that he had kind of taught. You realize they didn't have the Spirit in them at, the point, at that point? Jesus gives this speech, hey, it's really advantageous if I leave. It's advantageous for you. Because I can only be in one place at one time, and, and I can't be with you all the time. But when I leave, the Helper's going to come, and he's going to indwell you, and, and he's going to do all kinds of cool stuff through you. And so Jesus leaves, and at this, and he says, wait, don't go do ministry until we've gone over this, right? The Holy Spirit comes, and th- this moment of Pentecost, it says that this, this, this wind came through. It was, it was just this huge event, right? Little fires of tongue, or little tongues of fire, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's this massive event, and it's obvious to everyone that's there that something has happened. It's that moment when God says, hey, I'm going to show you that I'm in this, and this is it. We don't have any picture after that in Jerusalem with the Holy Spirit needing to come onto people later. It just happened in that moment. God was doing something special. He was showing that this is from him. It seems like as, as we look at kind of Jesus' plan for how the world's going to get reached, and, you know, he talks about it kind of like if you want to look at concentric circles, it's starting in our city, and it's just going to kind of expand We're going to find through the book of Acts that when each kind of new place receives the gospel, it seems like God does something really amazing when the Spirit shows up on them. Like we're going to have this moment in Acts 10 where Peter needs to be convinced of some things. It's a fun passage. You have Peter and Paul actually like arguing right? You'd think, oh, they would get along really well. Um, Peter was concerned that, you know, is it even possible for Gentiles to receive the Spirit? Is it even possible for, you know, he, I mean, we went into kind of some legalism things, and, and d- aren't we supposed to pass this, this Jewish kind of stuff onto these other individuals? Isn't this part of it? And in that moment, God does something amazing with the Spirit as the Spirit enters this house of Cornelius, Peter's shown, oh, God's in this. We get the same thing in when Paul begins to preach in Ephesus. The Spirit is manifest in a very real and very dramatic way. But after each one of those kind of dramatic things that happened, we just find that as people are coming to the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit's kind of come to that place. He's shown that he is going to impact all people. From that point forward we don't find the apostles like walking around having to touch every single person and lay hands on everyone that comes to faith right because god just made his point hey i'm in this and that's how it works it's god chooses at certain times to do things in a pretty radical fashion and in these moments as the holy spirit was part of his plan As it was going to indwell believers, he wanted to make sure that people understood, hey, I'm for everyone. So one of the reasons that I think it's, uh, one of the things that I value so much about it, and especially with what we're going through in our culture, is, you know, and I've said this, I'm going to keep saying it until people get it. The gospel is the greatest unifier on the planet. It transcends everything. It transcends every culture. It transcends every skin color and race. It transcends every socioeconomic boundary. It's the great equalizer. It, it requires that every single person who believes literally say, man, I am nothing, and I'm only anything because of him. Amen. That's beautiful. And one of the reasons that it's so important, this this issue with the Holy Spirit is that as God's saying, look, I'm going to show that. So I'm going to do something miraculous to show that the Holy Spirit can be in any believer, any believer. Let's move on. So we've got this moment happening in Samaria. We've got people getting saved. We've got this event with the Holy Spirit. Peter and John have shown up. It's almost like a mini Pentecost thing going on here. Um, The Holy Spirit has shown up, and then we get this interaction (laughs) with this individual named Simon. Um, What Peter says to Simon is brutal. It's brutal. It's it's the, you know, I'm going to do my best because there's kids in the room, but I mean... Literally, Peter curses this guy. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's a holy cursing, if that's possible. Um, there's probably some righteous anger there. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, his he's Boston's coming out, right? <laughs> that's that old kind of sailor talk is probably coming out here. And so let me kind of explain what's happening But this throws some, you know, when I told you this is a tough passage, it's not necessarily hard to look at something like the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and go, okay, that makes sense. I get that. Like, a lot of people want to complicate that more than it needs to be. But when we get to this next passage, where we're going to have trouble is this. It appears in every way by the scriptures that Simon believes. And he's been baptized. And he's hanging with the church. But when Peter shows up, Peter's going to be... No, you have no part of this. And you go, wait, that messes with me a little bit. And so I'm going to just kind of challenge you, like, dig in here because this is going to be interesting. Verse 18 Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What's he asking for? He's asking for another trick in his arsenal. You remember his history, right? He's, he's this magician. He's this sorcerer. He's this one that, that is famous. He, he's known to be this man of power. He calls himself great. They've actually credited some of his power to God. Maybe not g- the God, but a God. They're saying, this is the guy that, and then a new show comes into town. New act, right? Philip, and he's healing people. And people are watching and their hearts are changing. He's watching lives change right before him. And then something really crazy happens. Two guys from Jerusalem show up. He's probably heard of them. I mean, Jesus was decently famous, right? He'd been through Samaria. He'd probably heard of him. He's like, okay, yeah, I've heard of Peter and John. Like, this will be interesting. He's with the church. He's hanging out. It says he's hanging with Philip. They're kicking back, having discussions about faith. John and Peter show up. The Holy Spirit hasn't come in yet. They start laying hands on people, and the Spirit does this kind of mini Pentecost thing. And Simon goes, oh, I don't have that trick. What you just showed is more powerful than anything I've ever done this is a problem. I want it. I want that trick. I want to be able to add that one to my arsenal. I want to have the respect and the dignity and the reputation that you two have. I want to be able to walk around and put my hand on someone and say, the Holy Spirit is now in you. And it actually happened one of the things about the Holy Spirit, you know, people ask all the time, how do you know if it's a movement of the Spirit? Like, wh- 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 how do we know? Like, we're watching TV again, right? And you see, like, I, I wish, uh, okay, anyway, we're watching TV, and, and we'll see, like, things happening. And you're like, how do you know if that's a movement of the Spirit or not? Can the Spirit heal someone? Yes, absolutely. The Spirit's number one job, the number one job of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. If, this, if, if something is going on, and Jesus is not being glorified for it, you can automatically say this is not of the Holy Spirit. Has to be glorifying Jesus. When the Spirit's working through us, it's for the glory of Jesus, not us, right? Right? when the Spirit's working for someone else, when the Spirit's working through the apostles. Who's getting the glory here as Peter and John are laying hands on people and the Holy Spirit's coming in? Jesus. They're not walking in and going, hey, look at us, you need us, we're gonna do this for you. Raise us up. It's not about them, it's about him. As soon as Simon saw what they were able to do, he said, I want this for me. I don't want it for th- I don't want it for Jesus. I want it for me. He offered, I, I I I struggle with it. How lost do you have to be to walk up to somebody like Peter and John and offer them money for it? How lost would Peter or John have to be to like? T- part of me almost goes, man. I know I'm sinful. I probably would have been like, sure, give me the money. <laughs> You got it. Go on your way. <laughs> you know, like. I the, the, the nerve of an individual to walk up and ask something like this. This is somebody that's been in the fellowship of the church. Who's been baptized. Who claims to believe. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term simony before. Simony is the practice of attempting to, to gain a religious high position in a religion by paying for it. Guess where that name came from? I mean, this, is, this has got to be insulting. I don't know. Like, I would love to be there in this conversation because I think Peter and John show up and this they're watching. They're probably amazed. Like, wow, Jesus was right. Like, this <laughs> he can even save the Samaritans who were so far removed. And look at the spirits coming in them. And in the midst of all of this going on, you know, this guy, I mean, Philip may have been like, hey, you got to meet Simon. He's a huge, like, like huge testimony. I can't believe that he got saved. This is who he was, and this is what he did, and man, I got to baptize him, and so on and so forth, and he's claiming, and he's been hanging with us. You've got to meet this guy, and they kind of pull him aside, and and, and he looks, and, he, and Simon kind of walks up to Peter, and he's like, hey, um, money. I mean, what of Peter's response, right? That would have been I mean, for Peter and John to go from, wow, look at what the Lord's doing, look at how Jesus is being glorified, to the exact opposite from someone they were expecting to kind of behave in a Christ-like manner would have been pretty shocking. And I think in some ways it probably caught Peter off guard. When I, I look at what Peter says. He says, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. This is where he's swearing, where he says, (laughs) may your silver perish with you. The literal translation is that is you can go to hell, you and your money. I mean, that's pretty intense. You're going to hell, take your money with you. I don't think that's the response Simon expected. He had done everything humanly possible to get in. He had handled everything the way that he probably normally did. Man, this has worked in the past. Pulling all the angles, running all the scams, (coughs) in with the right people, got my money. This is all set. your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. I mean, if I were just to stop right there, <coughs> where are you at in this? I, I don't know that anybody in here would actually have the ability to walk up to an individual like these one of these guys obviously and say he'll hear some cash but actually we do see that don't we well if you give enough if you work hard enough if you elevate yourself enough if you do enough good deeds if you can get to a point where you can manipulate God to look at you and say, there's my boy or there's my girl, then I'm going to be able to just slip right in there. Do you know what Peter would say to us? Take your money, your reputation, (laughs) your selfish motivations, With you to hell. It makes me wonder how many people at their death end up in a place they never expected to be, trying to figure out how they got there. Let's finish what Peter says. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. I think Simon, Simon's true colors came out and Peter called him out on it. (coughs) He could only pretend so long. Now here's where things get sticky. It says that Simon believed, he was baptized, and now Peter's coming and telling him, I just saw your heart and your true motivation behind what you're claiming to be belief, and I'm telling you right now, you don't believe. You have no part in this whatsoever. Now I do find it interesting, and we don't maybe have all the conversation, but you would think that Simon would be like, no, I believe, I, was, I did this, I did that, I did this, right? just like we think that one day we're going to stand before God and be able to justify ourselves that we're, we actually believe we're going to be able to impress the creator but look what i've done i got some be like yeah but look what i did it's nothing our righteousness is but dirty rags to him that's hard to hear and the reason it's hard to hear is because there's these I don't think Simon is written in here and his story is given to us because we go well we need to make sure that we're not just not working for it or we're not attempting to to you know impress god it's really in here so that we're reminded that we need to be looking inside of our heart the ultimate question here is do you really believe We're not talking about somebody who just kind of wandered into the church building, has just been attending every now and then, and is like, man, this is interesting. We're talking about a guy who professed faith, who was baptized. And I guess on that side note, I guess I need to to say, if you've come in here with the belief system that even something religious like communion that we will take soon or baptism is going to save you, you're gravely mistaken. Water doesn't save anyone. I mean, this is the proof, right? The guy did everything outwardly that everyone else did, participated. What's really going on here? What's happening? One of the sticky points here for me is I go, I know as a Christ follower, and I say this every week, right? I stand before you, a dirty, rotten sinner saved by faith. I still blow it. I still sin all the time. And, and couldn't we just kind of excuse this as, may, hey, maybe Simon was a believer and just kind of stepped into a sin moment. And it's possible he actually does believe. And I think Peter actually addresses this As we continue to read, verse 22, he says this to him. You have no part in this. He says, repent, therefore, of your wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent in your heart may be forgiven you. Peter looks at him he says, look, you need to repent. This is a repentance issue. It's a heart issue for you. You seem to have all this head knowledge up here. You like the people, you like the effect of it, you like the camaraderie. You like that the church goes out and does good. You come in and you like the music, why wouldn't you? But what you really lack is a changed heart. You've not repented. And the proof is you're still wanting to do the same things that you were doing before. All you've done is just add this myth, this weird belief of Jesus into what you already practiced. It's not real to you. I used to work for this guy who, he was such a great evangelist. And then the guy, he was like a Billy Graham, but overseas. Uh, one of the things that we used to get in debates about, I was going to say arguments, but they were debates, I guess, is you tell me that we're going into these cities like Greece and we're speaking to thousands and thousands of people. And then you're sending out all of these, you know, you, you're giving an invitation, people are coming forward, and we're even having people baptized and so on and so forth. But how do we know they're not Simon? Like, how do we know that what's actually happening here is not just a flash in the pan? How do we know that when we're going into these other cultures that have these other belief systems that we know to be false, they're not, and and, and it's more than one, they're like, man, I like this God, this God, this part, this part. They're not just adding Jesus to that as well. How do we know that, that they've really gotten to the point where they say all of that is rubbish and it's only about Jesus? If all we do is go in, throw these things, and then we come home and we're like, look at what God did. Thousands of people came to Jesus. Did they really? Or is it possible that we actually started more damage than we can recover from? See, the, the Great Commission says we're to go and make disciples, not save people. It's in the context of the church's fellowship that one's heart is eventually truly revealed. Just like Simon. So Peter literally looks at him and he says, you don't believe. You just know. I know a lot of people that know. There's some people that I mean, I think I know my Bible pretty well, but that probably know it better than I do that I know don't believe. See, it's not not enough to know. In fact, (laughs) there's scriptures about this. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. if you just say, well, I know a lot about God, I know a lot about the Bible, you're in the same place as the demons. They know. There's not one demon that exists that goes, oh, I don't believe in God. They know. In fact, they've experienced things that you and I can't. Just knowing isn't enough desiring it isn't enough studying isn't enough Jesus addressed this in one I think of one of his most difficult teachings um, ever (laughs) in Matthew chapter 7 this is Jesus speaking I wonder if Simon actually believed he was a believer. (laughs) Like we're on intimate terms now because I know you. I went through your rituals. I show up at church all the time. I hang out with the right people. Everything on the outside looks pristine and good but I've never truly given my heart to Jesus. I think that one of the reasons that such a scary passage is because it literally requires each individual in here. (laughs) Meaning if you're a Christ follower and you're part of a church, do you realize that it is our job to judge each other? You go, we don't judge. Yeah, we do. We don't judge the world. We do judge each other in love <laughs> for the purpose of repentance. Peter showed that. I mean, the conversation afterwards, which we don't have, but just because i in church world, I get it. Peter probably had to pull Philip aside and said, man, you need to do a better job of vetting the people you're baptizing. (laughs) You have a wolf amongst the sheep. What do we do with that? I'll tell you what Jesus did with it. He let him stay. Who am I talking about? From the moment, I mean, <laughs> God created Judas. From the moment he started following, him he knew he was his betrayer. He knew there was a wolf in the sheep. Heck, he even gave him the ability to handle the money. But uh, you know that there was always this thing. <laughs> I mean, God's sovereign, so he knew the end anyway. We don't, as far as people's hearts. But he knew he was a wolf. One of the jobs of a pastor is to protect the sheep from wolves. So it is our job to Judge. I'll venture to say that there are churches all over the world that are filled with simons. And I'd venture to say that there's people in church at the well that maybe even believe that they're saved because they're going through the motions. Their heart's not really there. They're not really, truly have not really repented. hard to hear because how do you know the good news is that we do know like it's not a hopeless situation but it is challenging (coughs) See, I've said before I think one of the most dangerous prayers in the world is for you literally to hit your knees and beg the Lord to show you your own heart I've never done that and liked what I've seen. But I can say this, I've done it and seen Christ. And that's what we're supposed to see. But he's usually like, okay, you want me to show your heart? Here's the issues. And I've given you the Spirit to help you get rid of these things. But oftentimes, I think if Simon were to truly show this prayer, maybe he prayed that. Maybe in one of the church services, Philip actually gave this as a challenge. And someone's like, okay. And then guess who he sent? Peter and John. How do you know? Well, what does your life look like? Who gets you the glory? Are you after glory for yourself or him? I'm gonna be really frank with you guys right now. Some of you are sitting there going, I hate this, and I don't, I would say it's a heart issue. It's not my words, it's God's. And here's the here's the reality of it. It's the same word that you defend to say that you're saved. And we'll defend, well, it says in that book that. I'm saved by faith alone. I don't have to work for it. But it also says in that book that I'm supposed to live for him. You can't have it one way, and not the other. We don't get to pick and choose the messages of God. Where's your heart? Are you just adding him? Or are you desperate for him? Is it just something on Sundays? Or is he with you always? Is everything about him? Or is everything about you? See, I, I really believe that the main reason that this passage is in here is because we need to see people like Simon as a warning beacon to go, hey, is this where you are? Or is this real? Simon had a response here that I find fascinating and it showed where his true heart was. Peter asked him to repent. Simon doesn't say, "Oh my oh, I found myself in sin. Thank you so much for revealing that to me. You're right. I need to repent. <laughs> what does Simon say? And Simon answered, pray for me that the Lord, to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. What a really sad and pathetic response. It is the ultimate slap in the face to the Lord. Because you know what? He's literally asking Peter to pray, something that Peter can't possibly give him. You're asking me to bypass the repentance process and the cross and everything that Jesus did and pray that he'll make an exception for you. I can't do that for you. See, this is what happens all the time. I mean, there's belief systems that are literally say, well, th- you know, they're dead, so if you just do this while you're still on earth, they'll, they'll move. Or, you know, hey, if, you, if you'll just pray for this other person, then your praise will sanctify that person and your righteousness will be transferred onto them doesn't work that way nobody can pray you into relationship with christ nobody can pray you into ending up being in glory with jesus it's a heart issue it's personal it's between you and the lord you you're you're you've either been bloodbought or you haven't. Simon didn't get it. Romans 10:9 starting at verse 9 it says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord There is a head component. There is a heart component. It has to all be given. Belief is more than knowledge. Belief is more than knowledge. I know some people who are (coughs) illiterate, (laughs) can't read the word that I know are saved because I know their hearts have been given to Jesus. I see it in their lives. Somebody asked me once what how I defined a, a, a mature believer and I think there's a whole lot of, of ways that we can do that but one of the ones that stands out for me because it's been prevalent in my life is I think uh, a a true disciple of Jesus and and somebody who's maturing in the Lord, the repentance process comes quicker. It's not that they necessarily even blow it less. (laughs) It's that when they do, they know it. That's the sign of maturity to me. And I'll say, I mean, I'm going to blow it. But how long does it take me to move through this process? It's a great opportunity to transition here and finish this thing. The end of this passage in Romans, starting at verse 14, says this. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? To finish the passage, verse 25 of Acts 8 says, Now when they had tested, testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Revival has broken out. I always if you ever read revival stories, they're really fascinating. And you look at like Jonathan Edwards, George Woodfield, even revivals that took place here, right? The the major things that were transpiring here in Boston back in the day. And in those revival stories, y- you know, we always want to focus on like this is what's happening. This is so cool. The spirit's moving in powerful ways, and it's awesome. In fact, we want to pray for that. Here, now. But there's always also Simon stories. And if you dig deep enough, you find them. Revival doesn't just come and save people, it also also purifies things. I think that. That's important. The meaning the, the more, sometimes the more revival that we see, the harder the challenge because we also have to deal with a lot of the issues within. More wolves and the sheep. But revival's breaking out. This is something that I mean this is something that we desire to see here. I hope. But as I looked at the apostles and I looked at Philip and I looked at these people and you know we kind of set this Simon thing aside for now. And I go I'm I'm watching this revival take place in a place like Samaria and last week I kind of compared Samaria and Boston. What did it take? So for those of us who are maybe attending here for a while and you're saying, man, I really want to see Jesus do something in East Boston and then in greater Boston, so our Jerusalem, right? I have some just things I want you to kind of ponder. Are you really praying for it? Like, is it that something that's on your heart? Are you broken for your city? Do you look at your neighbors and your friends and your family who live around us and say, man, every day people are dying and going to hell? But not only that, every day people are living without Jesus in misery. I mean, is that something that you're really praying for? These guys did. Are you willing to sacrifice for it? I think this is one of the biggest issues. I think our hearts can truly say, like, man, I really desire to see Jesus glorified in a place like East Boston. But I don't know oftentimes that we're willing to make the sacrifices that are needed to do it. It means that Our time is his time. Uh, Our talents are his talents. Our wants and dreams and desires, our finances, are his. I think we live in a culture where we want our religion to be packaged up in this neat little box. And we're like, okay, as long as it's easy as long as I can just show up when I want and do what I want and it doesn't interfere with things that are more important like vacations and traveling and soccer games and sporting events and work because heaven forbid Jesus would have on any part of those. Are we really willing to sacrifice for it? Are we willing to let the Holy Spirit guide us and move in His way? (laughs) You know, I I have found that we can have plans and dreams and we believe that they're from the Lord and they very well can be, but I've very rarely seen Him bring those to fruition in the way that I think He should. Mm. He typically does it in a way that I would never, I'd be like, what? I mean, I know you did it, but this isn't really the way I would have done it, Lord. Like, why so much pain at the beginning? Or why the roundabout way, right? Jim Elliott, famous missionary, and this is a famous quote, but it seems appropriate. And I think in in looking at his life and looking at what he did and what he was willing to do to see this revival in a place that his heart had broken for, <laughs> he wrote this He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, I think of all the difficult things that are in this passage. Even me asking you questions like, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to do these things? Wh- why is it weighty? Scripture says it's freedom. Like, when I'm, when I'm talking about this, and I'm like, like, even me, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling convicted. Like, there's some things I need to change. I need to do this and that. Why does it have to be, man, I'm just like, okay, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Why isn't it not just, wow, I get to sacrifice my time, my energy, my talents, my finances for the good and the glory of Jesus. See, I I think the motivation for where Simon was, was he went, I'm leveraging God for me. And we're saying we actually get to partner with the creator of the world to do amazing things for his glory. What bigger privilege is there than that? How can it possibly be a better privilege to elevate ourselves up? To, put our, to pour our things into things that we can't take with us? How could that possibly be better? It can't be. So when you read stuff like this, it's hard. It, 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 honestly, it just bites me. But the reality is, he's literally inviting us to participate in something so much better than what we've chosen. He's literally saying, Come on, like, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I have created you for this. And when you're bringing glory to Jesus, you will experience more joy than you have ever experienced in your life. Where's the negative? Sometimes it takes us to go, oh man, that hurt. To go, look what I get. I don't want anybody leaving here today going, man, every time there's hard passages in the scripture, it just bums me out. What I think the Lord's presenting to you today is an opportunity. An opportunity to truly evaluate where you're trying to seek joy and where it truly lies. (laughs) You want to talk about the gospel flipping things on their heads. Conviction leads to repentance, which leads to joy. (laughs) What an awesome privilege. So couple things to ponder here I, just, I mean for some of you, I don't know everybody in this room, do you believe? Do you believe? here? Because if you just know, you could be in trouble. Do you believe? John wrote in 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Know it. The one thing a Christ follower should never have to do is question their eternity. You are blood-bought or you're not. And if you question it, then we might go, okay, let's examine some things. Because maybe you're attempting to depend on something you're going to do maybe you're trying to be good. <laughs> and it's not all about Jesus. And if you're here today and you're you're literally going, man, I don't know. Man, I've grown up in church. I've listened to sermons. I've participated. I've given. I've done all these things, but I really don't know. Don't leave here with that. Talk to somebody. Come find me. Come find Pastor Matt. We want you to leave here knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life in Christ. Last question. What are your priorities? If you claim claiming to be a Christ follower, like we're looking at this stuff that's going on in Acts and we all long for it, but do you really? Because what we do and how we move and where we spend our time and how we spend our money all shows what we truly believe. And I have to say that to me too. It all shows where our priorities really, really lie. So I'll just, cha- I'll just challenge our church, our little church in East Boston with this. How badly do you want it for him? Because it's going to take everybody. How badly do we want to see him glorified here? And I guess the flip side of that is if you're needing some moments to think and and maybe even repent through that, what are you not willing to give up for it? What are you holding on to so tight that you go, no? There's too many talented people in this room. (laughs) We need you. People out here need you. They need you to show them something different. We're gonna take communion together and the band's gonna come up, we'll sing one or two songs and I really want you to ponder these things. I I don't you know, one of the things that I I thought through was um, when I'm talking about what we're willing to give time and that kind of thing, I feel like everything always functions on this time, right? Man, Pastor went long today. I'm late for lunch. What's more important? So, uh, take your time. I don't know what you need to do. Communion elements are here. Um, Like baptism, they're not going to save you, right? But we use it here as an opportunity to respond to what we've heard for believers. Maybe somebody needs to just come forward and kneel and just repent. Maybe you just need to sing in greater joy than you've ever sung before. I don't know. But I want to give you that opportunity. I don't want to rush you out. I don't want to... I really think that this is one of those things where we need to deal with it. So on that note, I'm going to ask the Worldly Communion a little bit differently. I want you guys to partake on your own. Make it personal. What's he really speaking to you right now? As Pastor Phil said earlier and prayed, we don't want to leave here the same. Can't come in contact with God's word and say, Oh, that was great. It's supposed to change us. And there's nobody in this room that doesn't need change. So what is it? God, thank you for your word. Lord, it's hard. It's hard for me to hear those things. Lord, forgive me for putting things other, uh, uh, in front of you. Lord, forgive me for not being willing to sacrifice everything like you did. Forgive me at times when I've attempted to steal your glory. My motivation has been not pure. Lord, you desire a heart. I pray that there's nobody in this room that would hide behind knowledge or pride. Lord, I ask if there's anyone in this room right now, even if they think that they're saved, even if they think that they believe, that has doubts, or if there's anybody in this room that has never, ever come to know you personally, I ask, Lord, that you would give them the boldness and courage to speak, to ask questions, to humble themselves down, to truly see you high and lifted up in their life. Lord, we need you. Pray for the city that needs you. Pray that we wouldn't be individuals just trying to build a club. The Lord, that our hearts would break for what we see. Lord, we pray for revival, true revival. And we thank you for the privilege of getting to be a part of your plan. Lord, I pray you to encourage our hearts and deal with them the way that needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.